Welcome to On the Other Side, where we talk crypto, culture, and society, and how crypto might shape society and change how real humans live their actual lives. This episode is part of the DAO mini-series, which is a crossover series between the Brave New Work podcast and On the Other Side, where we talk all about what DAOs can learn from self-managing orgs with Aaron Dignan and Rodney Evans from The Ready, who are the hosts of the Brave New Work podcast. They are experts in the world of self-management. So this series is all about super short, bite-sized episodes where we talk about very specific topics and explore what DAOs can learn from self-managing orcs. Before we get into that, I want to give a quick thank you to Rabbit Hole for sponsoring On the Other Side. Rabbit Hole allows users to earn crypto while they explore the weird world of Web3, guiding new users down the crypto rabbit hole in a curated way to make sure that people coming into the space are not only using positive sum protocols, but are also starting to build their on-chain resume as they do it. The long-term vision is building the open credentialing system for Web3. And to build that system, it's important that they're decentralized. The Pathfinder program is paving the way for decentralizing Rabbit Hole and creating an open system built by the community, not by a single team. If you're interested in checking out Rabbit Hole or joining the Pathfinder program, you can learn more at rabbithole.gg pathfinder or check them out on Twitter at rabbithole underscore gg. All right, let's hop into the show. Today's topic of discussion is governance in DAOs and self-managing orgs more broadly, which I feel like there's been a lot of conversation around as of lately. So just to set a little bit of context, a lot of the ways that DAOs do governance today is often using tokens. So people who have the token of the DAO have governance power. Typically, that governance power is weighted based on how many tokens they hold. So if you have 10 tokens, you have 10 votes. If you have 1,000 tokens, you have 1,000 votes. A lot of proposals are voted on at the DAO-wide level, so any token holder can vote on proposals. And often, decisions are made by either reaching a majority or by reaching quorum, so a minimum amount of tokens need to be involved in the vote. And if the vote goes one way or the other, that's the decision. So generally that feels like it doesn't work. We've seen a lot of situations in which that doesn't work, but I think a lot of the conversation now is about how do we create systems that work better and are also still decentralized and not run by a small group of people. I know that you both have thought a lot about this in the context of the ready, but also in DAOs more broadly. So let's dive into it. So I think the first thing I would say to, in, in response to this is really for almost any system anywhere, it does start with a power holder or power holders, whether that be people who are just acting as source or starting something on their kitchen table or coming together or funding something, whatever it is. And usually legally, that governance system does start with with voting power. And in fact, if you are a corporation or an LLC or something like that, it's kind of encoded into the law that you you will make ultimate decisions by voting. But I think our take is that you want to get away from voting as fast as possible, not to move to centralization in the traditional sense where there'd be centralization at the top, but to move away from the problems with voting that you kind of 
teed up. And so to me, the very first vote is the vote that says, we're actually going to run this organization on a governance model that we're choosing. And that could be consent, or it could be another model. (laughs) The reason for that, I think, is that most voting is ultimately a form of tyranny. Because if you have 51% of the people vote or 51% of the power in a lot of cases with token holders vote for something, everybody else is along for the ride. And you tend not to get super interesting or super acceptable to everyone outcomes in a system like that. So mm-hmm. the the theory that I think we would bring to the table is get the people who are acting as source to agree that they want to have an environment where people close to the action, people that will be impacted, people that are you know doing the most are going to have a voice in shaping what happens that is in fact disproportionate to the voices of people that are way out on the fringes and build a consent model to do that, which I think at a 60,000 foot level just looks like we all agree we're going to make decisions with consent. The first decision we're going to make is that we're going to distribute authority to certain subgroups, subsquads, subdows, subpods, whatever, and and actually charter those communities, charter those spaces with some authority to make decisions about some aspect of our existence, unless or until the power holders that voted to create that governance structure try to claw that back, or they create governance where they don't have the ability to do that, which is actually possible in crypto in a way that really isn't in a corporation that I'm super excited about. So I would say that to me is the chain of of events here is agreeing that voting is not going to be the best thing for everybody and for outcomes, and then building a structure of how do we make decisions and how do we distribute decisions to subunits of this community with input, advice, voting, and signaling from the rest of the community when appropriate. Two things stand out as interesting to me that are like very much on my mind. The first is this idea that the first decision that you get as a community is how to actually distribute that power. And that Mm -hmm. feels very freeing when you frame it that way, which is definitely not how I felt with a lot of these different systems. And then the second one that comes to mind is a criticism that I've seen more recently which is DAOs that are really, really focused on figuring out their governance structure right away seem to be a red flag to people because Mm. it feels like you're over-designing an organization before you've actually gotten to doing anything. I'm curious how you think about that. Yeah. Oh, it's such a good one because we don't want to be doing work outside the work. Like we don't want to be spending so much time building a house before we even know what city we're going to live in. That's just silly. And I think there's always minimum viable governance. So to me, even if we don't want to spend a lot, a lot of time in the very early days codifying how we're going to decentralize, at a minimum, we should consent to our principles of decentralization. So when we are going to write our first agreement proposal about governance, what are we designing for? You know, when we say distributed, what do we really mean by that? Are we pushing to the edge? Are we pushing based on contribution? Are we pushing authority based on token holding? Is our intent to have the most voices, the least voices, the specialized voices, et cetera? (laughs) So I think like it's a polarity between doing too much too early because that can feel very navel gazy and doing too little expecting people to trust that they will have the authority that they need or that we will have practices that bring our ethos around 
autonomy to life, which for the most part doesn't just happen organically. And so I think the third way in this is what is the first very short stack of (laughs) foundational agreements that are principles-based? So how we decide, who decides, what those roles are. Like we've got to have some bones or we just can't walk. I love that you brought that up, Rodney, because as you were talking, I brought up the Ready Board Circles foundational agreements. Yeah. And there are only eight. Yeah, there aren't that many for our and they're not long. whole company. Yeah. Yeah, like it would fit on three pieces of paper, I think. Can you give an example of one of them? Yeah. Well, I can just read you the or titles. The we can thing. dig into any of them. So one of them is the principle of transparency. So how the system defaults to open. One of them is the principle of marketplaces. So how we use market forces inside the organization so that there's like buyers and sellers and that everyone has agency in the marketplace of the ready. One of them is the principle of autonomy. So basically how we give people the right to do more, right? You know, it's not permission-based, right? It's constraint-based. Principle of teaming is how we build squads, pods, teams, circles, whatever you want to call it. And principle of roles, how we you know, think about individual roles that, that folks fill, the principle of consent, which we've talked about already, but the idea of how to make decisions that are safe to try. And the last one is the principle of agreements themselves, because we had to actually write down what the hell is a proposal and an agreement, and what does it mean to us? What form could it take? So how we govern the organization through agreements is an agreement. It's sort of the first meta agreement. And that's it. And then there's a glossary that explains some of the words we use. But That's the whole corpus of foundational governance on which the entire ecosystem rests. And I think you might be, maybe you wouldn't be surprised because you know us, but um, those agreements are not long. (laughs) You know, some of the, some of the agreements that Aaron just referenced, those foundational agreements are a paragraph. This is not words and words and words of content. But we sure labored over those paragraphs. Well, it takes a long time to write something (laughs) small. If I had more time, I would have written a shorter letter. Exactly. It feels like each of those principles are a really important topic of discussion and learning for DAOs broadly, which Mm -hmm. is really interesting. When you read those, I was like, holy shit, each of those have their own rabbit holes to go deeply down. But one of the things that really stood out to me in that list in the context of this conversation is how you create circles. Mm. And I'm curious what those in in the context of this idea of how we distribute power and how we make sure that we have decisions that smaller groups are given the power to make. One of the things that I feel like comes up really quickly when we're thinking about DAO architecture is just, okay, cool, we have this token-based system. Obviously, this doesn't work well. We know that we need to split up into these groups. But the architecture of those groups feels messy. And Mm. one of the main pieces of tension that I've seen recently is that it's pretty clear to say, okay, marketing goes in this specific area and development goes in this area and product goes in this area. What feels a lot more challenging is figuring out where groups that are cross-functional go. Because that's like... Like, how do you deal with that? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, this is the same everywhere. Cross-functional stuff is just wily. So so there's two two ways to get at that, I think. Maybe Aaron has more. One is some things that are cross-functional aren't persistent. So we don't necessarily need a circle because we're going to do some cross-functional piece of work 
project, initiative, work stream, that doesn't have to become a structural play. We can just take our best guess at the contributors required to do it, figure out what that stack of work is, get that group of contributors into a channel and an operating rhythm until they deliver it and probably add and shed some roles depending on what the work is. And then and then that can be it. it everything doesn't have to become a circle or or pod or anything else. And I would strongly caution people against getting into that mindset. But the other piece of it is sometimes there are real cross-functional needs that are more persistent. And this usually looks like a team of teams. So this usually looks like representation of some kind, representation of concerns, agendas, points of view, varying types of authority coming together either to do work or to make decisions. And and I would just say some of the same principles apply in terms of knowing what that group's shared work and accountability and purpose is and having the right kind of agreements around tooling and meetings and information sharing and whatever. But if the work of that team of teams is the work of the core business, it's probably for real a super circle. Like it probably for real sits on top of marketing and development and, 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 and is a representative body. That makes a lot of sense because this is something that I've seen, for example, in index, we have an effort to do educational, I don't even know what the right term is, an effort to push forward educational initiatives. But the thing is, those things emerge from Mm -hmm. a lot of different groups. And so, so far, it's sort of been taking exactly what you're talking about, representatives from each group. But then it still feels like there's a need for some sort of consistent existence of that that group of people. And also like comp, which Mm -hmm. right now DAO's I know we're going to have a whole other conversation about comp, but yes, DAOs aren't really structured well to deal with cross-functional team comp Mm -hmm. because at least in the DAOs that I'm in, you either have like a DAO-wide comp structure that's agreed upon. Often though, each smaller team has a budget. And it's like, well, where does this even fit then? Especially Mm -hmm. as we move into a bear market where DAOs are definitely making sure that they're not spending like crazy, which is good overall. (laughs) But you have, I think, working groups, pods, whatever we want to call them, that are probably going to be a little bit more stingy with their budgets than they were before. And so it's like, where does that fit in? Yeah, I I think that's a great point. And I would just delineate two things from what you both just said. One is the bifurcation between a project and a circle or a squad. Like Rodney was saying, not everything needs to be spun up into structure. And in fact, what you need to do is figure out, are there structures, circles, teams, whatever, in which projects can nest comfortably forever? And so, for example, at the Ready, we have initiative teams that do strategic initiatives for us, which are basically like wild swings on things we haven't really baked yet in in the oven. And all the initiative teams are projects and they all live inside what we call our source circle. So the budget comes from there, the the participation and support comes from there, and, and they just come and go. And we'll have, you know, three to 10 per every four months that just flow through that structure. So that's, I, I think, know the difference between a project and something that needs to ha- be a going concern by asking yourself, is this work that will just continue in the same way with the same purpose agenda for a long time. And the second division or bifurcation is where I would say, 
the where you want functional integration rather than functional, you know, division. If you're doing a lot of cross functional work at a small scale, it might tell you a story that you're not structured correctly. What I think you really want to avoid is you don't want to have an organization that's larger than, let's say, 150 people. And there are these massive departments like marketing and finance and HR and all that. That's just been proven to be a wreck. What you want is functional integration where you have a, a cell of, you know, 20, 50, 150 people who have one objective in the world, some product or service or thing they're doing. And inside that cell, you have all the skills required to get that work done, whether it be, you know, design skills, financial skills, engineering skills, that it is actually cross-functional by design and within its own structure. Within that group, if you start getting lower than Dunbar's number, of course, you're going to have teams that are like, just focused on something that feels a little bit more functional. But my my great fear would be that we see a bunch of DAOs, you know, 10 years from now that are 30,000 people and they've just recreated what we're trying to kill right now in the Fortune 1000 in terms of big monolithic departments. Because that is not the idea. The idea is fractal cells of 20 to 150 people that you can have as many of those cells as you need to do your work in the world. And they're functionally integrated, autonomous, elegant, profitable, getting shit done, and related through purpose to each other. So instead of, I just want to make sure that I have this right, because I haven't heard this. Instead of Facebook having a marketing department, I'm using a Web2 company because it's easier. Facebook should have an Instagram privacy department or circle or team or whatever with the groups of people that they need to make that specific part of their business work. I mean, and they I should have marketing within it. For yeah, I think what you're yeah, what you basically want to do is get cellular around whatever orientation you want. So it could be regional, it could be by product like you just suggested, so Instagram, Oculus, Facebook, WhatsApp. It but it depends on the size of those things and the market of those things and we can have a whole other episode about how to design structure around users and around the the target customer for for each cell. But the idea is, yes, you're getting fractal and breaking things down and you're doing it around the way you want to meet the market. So if it is by brand, yes, Instagram is a self-contained ecosystem. They might use some other team or cells work like infrastructure or data services or something, but you want them to almost do it in a marketplace way where it feels like they're almost a vendor to that Instagram cell. That's what provides that maximum adaptivity. And frankly, the decentralization that the DAO space is so concerned with is like you don't want a group beholden to another group and waiting on them for data privacy technology that they're not getting on time because they have a long wait list and they're mandated to work with everybody. Like that's a cluster that you do not need. My, my counter to this, though I obviously agree philosophically, where I do feel like centralization is helpful is where there are things that would serve every cell. Totally. So we don't want to, you know, I'll give a really easy example from the ready. There, there was a time at the ready that every small project team, which was basically like a cell did its own hiring that created probably not great experiences for the people being hired, not a lot of learning as an organization about what the fuck we were doing with hiring. Uh, very little process that was consistent, which just created a lot of like load on the individuals trying to figure it out and refigure it out. Now we have a hiring circle that that will hire for every project need. 
And if a project team is like the hiring circles doing going too slow, or I don't think that they're delivering well or whatever, that that group has the authority, like they can go hire their own recruiter if they want to and have their own end-to-end fully contained full stack team. It's just that like they they have the choice to do that. So I think there is, you know, where where something like a, like a marketing team or like a hiring team or something else can make assets or workflows or candidates or process or whatever that that really does serve the majority of the whole and does so effectively. I don't think that's always a bad idea. And to Aaron's point, I would be very loath to hem any market facing team in from deviating from using that group if it's not working for them. <laughs> yeah, it's like redundant autonomy. And I, I totally agree, actually, with, with what you're saying, Rodney, because the scale at which we're talking is still small enough that that's not a hiring group of 20,000 people serving exactly. a million. Exactly, exactly. If, if we had five different business units that were all running $20 million P&Ls, I think they each should have their own hiring cell. 100%. But yeah. I think this gets into an interesting conversation that I was having with Sam and Tanisi the other day about yeah. cell division. And yes. like, when is, you know, when is the blob too big? And when does the cell need to divide? Because I do think sometimes like, I totally agree with that heuristic. And also, I think it can be sometimes hard when you're inside the blob to sense when it's time for a split and some specialization. Yeah, there's a whole app there for sure. <laughs> and the beauty of the mini series is that we can save all of that for a whole other episode. If you like what you heard, please make sure to rate and subscribe to the podcast. I always forget to do this for podcast day like, but it's actually super useful. Also, if anything resonated with you or if you want to continue the conversation, hit me up on Twitter. I'm at Chaser Chapman. I absolutely love talking about these things. Thanks again for listening.